0: Lord God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for filling us and enriching our lives with it. We pray that you would uh, mold it, that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that uh, your word would be true, that you would comfort us with the gospel, you would remind us of what's true, and that that would flow into all of our lives. Lord, thank you that we get to worship you today, and we get to follow the pattern that you've been setting for generations. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, We've been talking about covenant theology, if you haven't noticed. And as we talk about covenant theology, um, we have looked at covenant theology through a particular lens. Um, There's lots of ways that we could talk about covenants. There's lots of um, books that have been written on it, lots of different uh, systems of thought. Uh, but what I've chosen to do is kind of take a big picture approach, right? There's a lot of details, obviously, that we're talking about, but we're trying to always keep in mind what's the big picture, right? What's the point of what we're talking about? Um, and so we've always tried to come back to the fact that uh, today we're trying, to, or we're trying to figure out what is the promise seed going to do? That's the mosaic covenant, and what it's showing and teaching is what is the promised seed that God promised back in Genesis? What's He going to do, right? What is uh, what kind of person is He going to be? So we put a few answers to this question already. Um, We've already found out that the promised seed is going to keep the law perfectly. Uh, He's going to be a mediator. He's going to be a prophet. Uh, and then he's going to be a priest who does all that is in God's heart. And so we saw uh, last week right, that as our priest, Jesus offered the sacrifice of his own blood. And that sacrifice has purified our whole being. Not just the externals, right? We talked about the clean and unclean system in Israel. We talked about um, how the clean and unclean shows us through the physical problem, right? There's a physical barrier to coming to worship God. But that's really teaching us about the spiritual barrier of coming to worship God. Uh, It's not necessarily about sin, all right? We talked about how certain things uh, make you unclean even though they're not sinful. Um, but it's a physical boundary to remind us that you can't come to the Lord on your own terms. Right, You have to come to God into his presence on his terms. And so what Hebrews told us was that all the systems of washings and all the things for the purification of the flesh were just a tool, right, to teach us about the sacrifice, the priest who would sanctify us and purify us with his blood, and that was for our conscience. Not simply the physical, right, but a spiritual boundary has been removed. So, the Westminster Larger Catechism says this. uh, Christ executes the office of a priest. Sorry, I'll start with the question. Westminster Larger Catechism number 44. How does Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executes the office of a priest and is once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of the people and in making continual intercession for them. So in other words, right? Christ is a priest who offers himself a sacrifice. Uh, that reconciles us to God, which means removes the barriers, and then he makes intercession for us uh, because he lives forever. And we'll actually talk about that second part, the intercession, later uh, today, if we get to it. But today what I wanted to talk about was something that Um, was supposed to be integral to Israel, to the Mosaic Covenant, and to their calendar year, Um, but something that I don't think we talk about or think about very often, and that's the feasts of the Mosaic Covenant. So Today, we're going to talk about the feasts of the Mosaic Covenant. Um, There's a lot of them, and I was, I'm curious, could any of you name some of the feasts that Israel would practice, um, either every year or every certain number of years or months or days? What kind of feasts uh, did Israel practice? Does anyone know? Booths? Booths? Okay, Feast of Booths, right. Passover? Yeah. We should get that one. <laughs> what else? Chopics? Oh, Feast of Trumpets. Sorry, I thought you said tropics. I was like, like a Hawaiian feast? Or, yeah, there's a Feast of Trumpets. That's right. There's one more big one. So we already got booths and Passover. Those are two of the big ones. There's one more that's also important in the New Testament. Feast of first
1: fruits.
0: Feast of first fruits. What's the 50-day one? That's Pentecost. Feast of Weeks. But you're right, there is, there is a first fruits feast, and then there's a feast of weeks, which is a harvest feast. Um, but those are different. Okay. Uh, but you're right, there's, there is one that's a 50-day one, and that's the feast of weeks. So there's Passover, right, the, the one um, that we probably are most familiar with because Jesus was, um, <clears throat> he was crucified on the Passover There's the Feast of Booths, um, and then there's the Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and that one's important because in Acts Acts 2, right, the Spirit of God was poured out on Pentecost, and we'll talk about that later. Um, So those are the three of the big ones, and if you want to read about these, you can go to Leviticus 23 or Numbers 29, Um, and then there's a bunch of other smaller ones. there's the Feast of Trumpets that Jamie mentioned. There's the Feast of First, First Fruits. New moons were important. Um, and then there's also the Day of Atonement, which was arguably one of the highlights of the year, because the Day of Atonement was the only day um, where the High Priest would go into the most holy place in the tabernacle or the temple. So the Day of Atonement is kind of like this is the big day where all the sins of the people are paid for by the high priest. He sacrifices for his own sins, sacrifices for for the sins of the people. He sends the scapegoat into the wilderness for Aziel. He goes into the Holy of Holies, purifies the temple and the tabernacle and the ark. Um, it's a very big day, the Day of Atonement. Um, so there's a lot of them. And then there's also a regular keeping of the Sabbath was a, considered a, a feast or a celebration. So that was every seven days, right? On the seventh day, you kept the Sabbath. And then there was the Sabbath month. Um, the seventh, Every seventh month, you'd keep a special day. That's the Feast of Trumpets. And then there's the Sabbath year. So every seven years, you have a Sabbath year. Um, which is to provide the land for rest, so you're not supposed to grow anything. The whole land rests for a year, so you let, you let your crops uh, go fallow, right? you let the fields go fallow, and you don't grow anything, and you just eat whatever is in the fields growing naturally. Um, and then every 50 years, a.k.a. every every seventh Sabbath year, so every 50 years, you had the year of Jubilee, uh, which is like the... the Culmination of all the Sabbaths is like this is the big Sabbath year where all debts are released, all prisoners, slaves are released, all everything goes back to the way it was. So if you'd sold land to someone on the year of Jubilee, you get that land back because it's your heritage. Right? The point was that um, as Israel enters in the land, every tribe is given an inheritance, a portion of the land. Well, what if you sold half of your portion, right, to a different tribe? Well, every 50 years, it resets. It goes back to the tribe that it originally um, was given to. And all the debts are released. Everything basically is is cleansed and rested and um, given new life. Now, did they ever actually do that? No. We're we're pretty sure that Israel never actually practiced the year jubilee. And we're even more sure that they didn't practice the Sabbath year. So every seven years. The reasons for that is because when they go into exile, God says that they go into exile for 70 years. Because they owe the land 70 years of rest. Because they withheld it. They didn't practice the Sabbath year. And so the land needed to recoup all the rest that Israel had not given them. So the exile was a time for the whole land to be at rest. Um, And they came back after 70 years. So it's a lot of talking about all the feasts and stuff, but what's the point? Let's talk about the big picture, right? What's the point of all of these feasts? Not necessarily individual ones, but generally speaking, this whole system of feasts and yearly calendar. What's what's the point of them? Place God at the center of their lives. Okay, place God at the center of their lives. Absolutely. Maybe we can get more specific than that, though. Are there worship
1: and remembrance?
0: Okay. Worship and remembrance. So what, what would they remember? What God done. Yeah. Yeah, they would absolutely remember things that the Lord had done. For instance, right? They celebrate Passover to remember when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. Um, we talked about that a little bit in Exodus already. What else would they remember? Dwelling in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. Or to put it another way, to remember where they came from. Right? They were slaves in Egypt. They went through the wilderness. It's you can imagine, right? That Israel, a hundred years later, is going to forget because they're living in the land of plenty. Right? They're living in a land flowing with milk and honey. So they're going to forget the fact that well, let's not forget that we came out of nothing. Like we had nothing, and God gave us all of this. So it's, a, it's intended to remind Israel, right, that they were homeless, they were empty, they were slaves, and God is the one who's filled them and given them this land. Anything else that they were to remember that was any other big picture points? What would people often do at a feast? eat (laughs) yeah it's a celebration right you eat and you hang out with your family and with your closest friends and you celebrate with all of israel i mean it's like a, a big fellowship meal um although with a lot more ritual and a lot more sacrifices and a lot more worship and things attached to it but one of the big points is let's remember what god has done by having a big feast and by celebrating Right, let's remember all the things that the Lord has done by, by our generosity in sacrificing to him and our joy in enjoying each other, enjoying the land, enjoying all the blessings God has given us. Um, right, all these are, are meant to push Israel to rest. Right, not to work, but to rest. So often the feast would include days of, of rest. Um, that Scripture calls holy convocations. Um, for instance, Pentecost was a day of rest and holy convocation. What's what's the point of rest? What does rest force you to do? To not focus on your life so much. Here. Okay, to not focus on your life. Maybe you could say not focus on your burdens. Now, yeah. day of rest is a day to... Okay, I'm not going to worry about my my taxes today. I'm not going to worry about my my crops or my, my sick cow. I'm just going to enjoy and rest in what the Lord has done. Yeah, absolutely. Rest also forces you, as you rest, to acknowledge that you didn't get here because of your works. It's not like, well, you worked really hard in the weekend, so you earned, you worked hard during the week, and now you earned your weekend. It's more like, well, the Lord has given me all these things, so I now get to rest because of what he's done for me. Another way to put it is that Israel's history is not defined by what their ancestors did. It's defined by what God did. So think about about the the, holy days of America. Right, Fourth of July, um, Independence Day, Memorial Day, New Year's maybe, or a couple others that you could think of. A lot of those are focused on what? Someone whispered something. Be bold. Sin boldly. Rest, Rest okay. But on, on the basis of whose work? Ancestors. Ancestors, yeah. Independence Day, we celebrate our ancestors who stood up against Britain. Right? Our history as a country is defined by what our ancestors did. Independence Day, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, right? these are all to celebrate ancestors and people who have done good things for us right, and, and blessed us. Israel's, Israel's calendar year and Israel's feasts and their holy days are not focused on what their ancestors did. They are explicitly focused on what God has done. Sometimes in, in direct contradiction to what their ancestors deserved. Right? Think about Israel wandering through the wilderness. And they're grumbling. And all the times the Lord had to discipline them, right, for their grumbling. And yet they have a whole feast, the Feast of Booze, centered around the fact that they once were in the wilderness. God brought them through, even despite their grumbling, provided manna, provided food and water for them in the middle of nowhere. Right, that's, that's celebrating and rem- remembering what the Lord has done. Right, rest and Sabbath draw you away from the idea that you're the hero of the story. Draw you into the fact that the Lord is the hero who has saved you. Any other? Can you guys think of any other purposes of the feasts? What would accompany most of the feasts? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. What's the point of that? Why? Why do that during a feast? Sin or cover their sin. Okay. Means by which the Lord covers sin. Sure. To give back to God so draw okay. Yeah. To symbolically give back to the Lord. Um, yeah. Feast of First Fruits was about giving the first of your fruits to the Lord, right? It's, it's to say everything that I have, my harvest, belongs to God, it's from God. what else does all the sacrifices teach? Remember that if the feasts are about remembering, how do the sacrifices play into that? Was it easy for, well, maybe that's not the right way to ask it, but was it easy for God to bring them out of Egypt? Anything? Yeah, it was it was
1: easy for God because not He's all powerful. But it, it was a big deal; it very
0: costly. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not the best way to ask that because, of, of course, it's easy for someone who's all powerful. But you're right; it, it was costly. Right? <clears throat> Passover is a reminder of the cost of redemption. Right? all the sacrifices in the feasts were reminders of the cost mm-hmm. of what they have. Right, they are in the land. They are blessed uh, because the Lord has redeemed them. Because the Lord paid a price for them. They, they, they get to rest because the price has been paid. Because God has already done it. Right? He has accomplished it and done the work for them. He's put in the hard work. He's paid the price. Um, and in, another way to think about it, we talked about this when we talked about Passover. Um, in Exodus, God calls the Passover a memorial. Um, what's the difference between a memorial and a celebration? I'm really testing your knowledge of a sermon I preached like <laughs> six months ago. I don't even remember it. You're fine. But do you have any guesses? One
1: somber.
0: One somber. Okay. And one can be a celebration. Okay. Maybe it's the somberness. Or
1: remembers something. Mm-hmm.
0: It remembers something. But for what purpose? <clears throat> so
1: you don't
0: forget. So you don't forget?
1: But there's usually a death involved
0: with a memorial. Yeah, there's usually a death involved with a memorial.
1: or a new life or mm-hmm. something
0: to begin. Whereas a memorial looks something to Okay. Maybe, yeah. Here's here's how I think of a memorial. Um, and it's still something that I'm mulling over. But the way that I think of a memorial versus like a celebration or simply a, a remembrance, right? A memorial isn't just about what has happened, but it's supposed to direct you a certain way. Right? It's supposed to make the events of the past apply to you today. Right? So it's not simply saying, well, let's remember all the things that our, um, our forefathers did right, on July 4th to secure our independence, but to impact how we live now. Right? This is an event that is implications for how we live, um, to use an example. For Israel, right? Passover is a memorial because it isn't simply about the fact that God has brought them out of Egypt, but it's supposed to say God has brought you today out of slavery, that you were slaves, even though you're 300 years after the fact. It's an identity thing. right? Israel isn't supposed to say, well, yeah, my ancestors were slaves, and they were in Egypt, and now I'm here. Wherever the Lord, when the Passover is celebrated, it's as if they're saying, we were slaves. We were in Egypt. But God has brought us out. It brings people into the events of the past and shapes them and molds them and, and directs them to the future and how they should live because of what the Lord has done. Because what God does, right? God, he works in, in time, right? But is a, His his events have far-reaching... Implications for not just the people at that moment, but for all of Israel for all time. Sure, Passover happened once, but when they celebrate it, it applies to all the future Israelites too. Does that make sense, John? That's what it does, but that's not what it is. You asked what it was.
1: Mm-hmm. In other words, what is a memorial? What is a celebration?
0: Yeah. So.
1: so I, that's what it does. That's where i dis- confused. Okay. There's a distinction. A memorial is an identification with participation in a previous event. So
0: the Americans can't make a memorial for something that happened in Germany because it's not their story. So in Exodus 12, it says, You teach your children to say, God brought us. Even though they weren't born yet, they brought us out of Egypt. So a
1: memorial is a participation in the previous event as an identity of.
0: Yeah, Thanks, Brett. Do you want to just come teach? Yeah, I feel like you're... <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you. That was, that was helpful. Okay, is that, does that help show the difference between a memorial and a celebration? It's an identification, right? It's participation in, I'm just going to reiterate what Brett said in case there's someone watching. It's a participation and identification in events of the past, Right, brings all of all of the people, even if they have been born 400 years later, into those events because it's it's identifying with and shaping them as a people, as their identity as a people. And then Brett also mentioned right that Passover, one of the purposes was to teach your children what's happening when Passover is celebrated. Um, so that's another big purpose and point of the feasts is to teach. Right, it's to remember, but it's also to teach the next generation. Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what God has done for you. Uh, so those are those are some of the big points, the big picture purposes of the feasts. Um, that they are memorial. Right, there's a lot of rest involved. They're meant to point us to what God has done. That we're We're shaped as a people by what the Lord has done, not by what our ancestors have done. To remember where we came from, to remember that we were slaves, that we were empty, but God filled us. Um, And to remember the cost of redemption. That, yes, we are redeemed, but there was a price that had to be paid. And to give thanks for that. So why don't we celebrate these feasts anymore? Because this sounds pretty good, right? It would be great, wouldn't it, if we celebrated Passover and Pentecost and all those things. So why don't we? Why are we boring? What do you guys think? Dave Stodema is not here to save you all
1: celebrate
0: the Lord's Okay. Remember, Christ has fulfilled all those things. And he was the final sacrifice. So we don't bring the sacrifices any longer because of what he has done. Okay. <clears throat> so, Jesus has fulfilled them. Right? But what does that mean? Because the feasts were celebrations of what the Lord has done in the past. Why, why don't we celebrate Passover? Because it's still something that happened in the past that the Lord has done for his people. What's it mean that Christ has fulfilled them? That's true, but I want us to get to what that actually means. Okay. Okay. Okay, so he is the Passover lamb, and he is the first fruits. So what does that make Passover in Exodus? Was it the real Passover? Was it the real Passover?
1: Types and shadows.
0: What does that mean? It means it's, it's
1: like a shadow of a tree isn't the reality. Visible uh, Mm -hmm. lightness, so it points to something else, something bigger
0: than itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a shadow of a tree. You don't look at the shadow of a tree and say, "Oh, I found a tree." You can't. There's no leaves to pick. There's no apples. Um, It's a shadow. It's not. It's not the thing. So when it. When we say that Christ has fulfilled these things, what we really mean is Christ is these things and the feasts in the Old Testament were just, they were shadows of what Christ would do and who he is. Christ is the Passover lamb. Christ is the first fruits. Christ is the fulfillment. All the feasts were simply types and shadows right they were not the real thing so in other words we have to invert our thinking because we think chronologically right whatever came first is the real thing and then things that come after are the the types they're the things molded in the first things image that's technically true right because Christ has existed before time but in time right as all the Passover events and Pentecost and all the feasts are celebrated what they're really doing is these are not the first (laughs) things What comes later, Christ, is the first thing that these things are modeled after. So we have to sometimes invert our thinking, and we do this a lot, because what we're really looking forward to is Christ is what all the Old Testament is talking about. It's talking about Jesus. So Jesus can truly say, if you had read Moses, you'd, you'd have read about me. You'd know me. Another way to put it is how Paul says it in Colossians. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ is the substance. All the festivals and the new moons and the Sabbaths were a shadow of the things to come tell us many times how much better Christ's sacrifice
1: was better than angels, better than Moses, better than a better rest better sacrifice, better covenant, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff there and much better
0: yeah yeah. We want, we want Christ all the other things are, are shadows that point us to Christ um, there's one more thing that I want to talk about with the feasts um and it will have to do with a couple of other things, but the feasts and all the feast system were just chock-a-block full of the number seven. Um, the number seven shows up over and over and over again in a lot of different ways. Obviously, the Sabbaths, right? It's the seventh day and the seventh month and the seventh year and the seventh-seventh year, Um these are all intertwined, right? Seven is intertwined with Sabbath, with rest, with feasting, with holiness, with the temple, with the priesthood. Seven is an important number, um, especially in the Old Testament. But there's actually one other number related to it that has maybe some more importance, even though we don't know it as well. And that number is seven plus one. So seven is clearly tied to Sabbath, right? Right? Because it has connections to to creation. God created the world in seven days. He rested on the seventh day. So the Sabbath, right? Israel would rest on the seventh day because it's related to creation. That's God's justification, right? For in seven days the Lord made heaven and earth. Therefore you shall rest on the seventh day and keep it holy. That's the fourth commandment. So it has ties to creation and to the completion of creation seven plus one is tied to other things. It has cosmic implications as well because what could be better than seven? If seven is creational completion, well, what could be better than that? actually seven plus one, meaning new creation. So if seven is tied to creational completion, seven plus one is tied to new creation. So for example, Feast of Booths. On the 15th day, this is Leviticus 23. On the 15th day of the 7th month, and for 7 days, is the Feast of Booze to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For 7 days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the 8th day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. Don't do any work on the 8th day. What's 8? It's 7 plus 1. So even though this feast is centered around 7 and 7 and 7, on the 8th day, on the 7 plus 1 day, that is the holy convocation, the solemn assembly, the day you don't do any work. Pentecost. You shall count 7 full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the 7th Sabbath. What's, what's 50 days? Well, I'll tell you. It's 7 times 7 plus 1. And guess what else happens on Pentecost? On the 50th day, on the 7 times 7 plus 1, Acts 2, the Spirit of God is poured out. What happens when the Spirit shows up? New creation. Pentecost is also called the day of first fruits. <laughs> Paul says this in Romans 8, Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, when the Spirit shows up, he's creating the first fruits of the new creation. Pentecost is the day of first fruits. When the first beginnings of something happen, when the first sprouts have come up, when the first, uh, what's the word, harvest has been brought in, What what day could the Lord pick better than that for pouring out his spirit? Pentecost, the day of first fruits. Your Jubilee. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that at the time of the seven weeks of years, shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall, you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, year, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. The fiftieth year, seven times seven plus one. Here's the kicker, right? Here's what it's all pointing to. What day was Jesus resurrected? Yep. The seventh plus one day, the eighth day. Why? Because that's the day of new creation. Jesus rested on the Sabbath in the grave and then rose on the eighth day. As the first fruits from the dead. Meaning he was the, he was the first harvest of the new creation. So while there's all these feasts commanded for Israel, right? They all center around seven. Because they're, they're all centered around holiness and completion of creation. We only have one feast. And we only worship on one day of the week. And it's the eighth day. It's the seven plus one day where we celebrate uh, the death of our Lord with the Lord's table. Also called the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. Because through the table, all the feasts, right? We find everything that the feasts would teach Israel in the Lord's Supper. We remember where we came from. We were dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. But we celebrate the fact that the Lord has paid the price for us. We're reminded of that cost of redemption, but the cost has been paid, and we receive rest. And we are memorializing Jesus, right? We are, we are being shaped and molded as a people. Our identity is being shaped by what the Lord has done when we weren't even born yet. And we are united to the past. We are united through the table to what the Lord has done on the cross. And we do it on the eighth day. Seven plus one, because it's new creation. But even the table, right, even the Lord's Supper, is still a shadow pointing forward to something that we're waiting for. Um, so Revelation 19 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But even the Lord's table is still, still just a picture. Still just a little tiny taste of what's to come. That there will be actually something that will fulfill even the table, the Lord's Supper, when we will eat and drink with our Lord in heaven. Any questions about seven and seven plus one or feasts? Ah. Uh-huh. Extra goodie is a better translation of "Do this in remembrance of me" is "Do this as my memorial." hmm Yeah. This is your storage. This is your identity. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, So there's one more thing that we can begin talking about today. Uh, We only have a few more minutes and then we'll be done. Um, And we're actually getting close to being done with the Mosaic Covenant, believe it or not. Uh, There's still a few more things that I want to talk about, Um, but we're still still kind of unpacking the priesthood and the Mosaic institutions of the feasts and all these things. But I think now that we've kind of wrapped up a lot of the the things we've already talked about we can start to talk about the connection between priesthood and covenant Um, the connection between priesthood and covenant and my thesis is basically what what I want us to learn is just going to be Hebrews 7.12 for when there's a change in the priesthood there's necessarily a change in the law as well So Hebrews 7.12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So in other words, the priesthood and the covenant are so deeply intertwined that if you change the priesthood, the covenant changes. That's just how it works. They are so intertwined. Um, You could say that the priesthood is, is the ligaments and the tendons that hold the covenant together. And so when we talk about Jesus as our high priest, we're talking about a different covenant. We're not talking about the Mosaic covenant anymore. Because where there's a change in the priesthood, there's a change in the law as well. So that's what we're going to talk about next time. That was a little teaser so that you come back. Um, That When there's a change in the priesthood, there's a change in the law as well. Any final questions? John? On
1: that, on that note, um, wasn't it when the priest died that the uh, law changed, obviously? But in that law change, weren't the people who went to those cities of refuge now released from that because of that? When the mm-hmm. priest died, then they no longer were held accountable, I guess, for the death of the person that they actually got manslaughter, what we call manslaughter. It was an accident. It wasn't intentional. So they mm-hmm. came to their cities.
0: I'd have to go back and look. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'd have to go... Do, do you know where you're thinking of? It's probably in Leviticus. Okay, I'll look into that. Because I don't...
1: Because that would fit very well with the new law. coming of the new, new priesthood met the old... Um, was done away with.
0: Yes, in a sense. But I think what Hebrews is talking about is a is a change in the covenant, not necessarily that oh, no longer, we're not going to count manslaughter as a crime anymore or something. I no,
1: don't mean manslaughter. An individual's being held accountable for that. They went to the city okay. of refuge. But it's my understanding that they went to the city of refuge and if they ever left that they could be killed. Mm-hmm. Until the priest died. Interesting. Then they could leave the city and be free of that. That's
0: okay. Let me look into that.
1: Not a, not a change in the law, meaning that you now it's constitutionally okay to kill somebody.
0: Okay. Let me look into that because I don't remember. Okay. Any other? Final thoughts? Questions? Okay. Well, let's um, let's pray, and then we'll get ready for worship. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for shaping us as a people. That the things that you've done in the past apply just as much to us today. That the death of Christ is what shapes us. It is what gives us our identity, and is what brings us into the new creation. Lord, thank you that we get to worship you. Thank you that we are your people, the first fruits of what is to come, your kingdom. Lord, we thank you and pray that you'd prepare us for worship this morning, that you would shape our hearts, that we would leave behind all of our distractions and worries and anxieties, and that we would focus on you today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.